0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. This is a little podcast that I've uh, been putting together over the last while where I like to talk about all things investing, where I get to share with you some of my thoughts, some of my takes and other people's takes about what's going on in the stock market and the world of investing. Uh, The goal here is hopefully you can take some nuggets of insights and uh, information and hopefully you can bring it back to your own personal circumstance and ultimately it's about helping you make better and more successful investment decisions. My name is Amon Reina and I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors. And if you've never heard of what an investment coach is, essentially what I do is I try to help people who want to become more financially independent. The problem, though, with people who are seeking to become financially independent, and especially as they start getting into investing as a way of becoming more financially independent, is they often end up feeling frustrated or confused or intimidated by the whole concept. They either don't know where to start when it comes to investing, or they've been investing for a long time. Um, but they just aren't making any traction with their portfolios. So what I do as an investment coach is I teach people, I engage with them on how to make more educated and ultimately more successful investment decisions so that they can achieve a certain level of financial freedom in their lives and achieve it with confidence. So today is another episode of Decision Day. It's a Decision Day episode. And these are are the episodes that I like to do periodically, where I like to talk and share with you the thought processes of the various investment decisions that I've been making personally how I've gone about making the decisions and the types of decisions that I've made and the outcomes, and also ultimately what what it's about is is the learning. Is learning anything the takeaways that I've gained from from the decisions that I've made. Uh, as I said, as an investment coach, uh, one of my core value propositions is to. Is to, is to teach people how to make investment decisions, but to be uh, very transparent about it in terms of, uh, pra- I believe very much in practicing what I teach and uh, the concepts uh, of, of how to evaluate stocks and, and ETFs. Uh, it's one thing for me to teach it. It's another thing to actually model the behavior. So uh, I like to jump on here every, every once in a while and share with you my own personal uh, investment decisions. So it allows me to kind of walk my talk in a certain sense. Uh, so today i'm going to share with you the decisions that i made uh in the month of march and march was a pretty pretty crazy month um in terms of decision making i faced a few a couple of really tough decisions i had to come across Uh, and to a certain extent my portfolio had to take a few take a few shots my portfolio took a few shots i made i had to make some uh, decisions that were lost decisions um and, I had to make, and they were hard decisions. Um, but at the same time, I also had some good uh, decisions that I were able to take and the, uh, some good stories that I were able to uh, to take advantage of. Um, and I think a lot of it really has has, has come from the the 180-degree the uh, pivot by the Federal Reserve on their outlook for interest rates. Up until now, the trend and the, the messaging has been that interest rates are going to go up this year. But it looks like... Uh, now, especially in March, what happened? The Fed came out basically saying that they are not going to be increasing interest rates anytime this year, and pretty much put the whole thing on on hold. And, and to me, I, that was a very much a game changer moment, and it kind of played into some of the decisions that I've that I've made in the last little while. Um, and so let's let's just walk through let's just uh, get to cut to the chase and and, and walk through these decisions that i made so the first decision i made it was a selling decision and i decided to sell my shares in cvs uh cvs incorporated ticker ticker symbol cvs and it wasn't a good decision because i lost uh 19.8 on it and that's when you factor in even the foreign exchange and all the adjustments from that side of it um, yeah, so my first decision that I made was uh, a bad decision because I lost money on it. I lost 20% on it. Uh, for people who have been following my blog and listening to my podcast over, over the last while, uh, investing, I like to have certain themes and certain exposure. One of the theme, investing themes that I've tried to incorporate in my decision making is to have some exposure into the healthcare side of it. Um, the logic being older population uh, and the consistent need and demand for healthcare care services um, to me sounds like a no-brainer and it's like a, uh, being exposed to companies that offer healthcare services they're gonna have constant demand for customers and constant demand for patients because hey we all get sick um, you know we're human beings and we need care and we're an older population and we need more care so the logic for me is is to have some exposure into healthcare stocks. But my experience prob- with healthcare stocks hasn't really been that great. And this is the, my latest installment of that is, is with CVS. Uh, you know, logically it logically makes sense to invest in healthcare stocks, but it just doesn't seem to pan out from an investing side of it. It's really hard to do it. Um, I've invested in all different kinds of uh, companies in the healthcare space like pharmaceuticals, medical devices, um, medical technology, health services, lab testing. Um, at some point I've had my portfolios exposed to some or all of these uh, areas and when I look back at some of the results that I've had from those decisions, they're eh, it's kind of meh. Uh, some of them I've lost money, some of I've done okay, but it just hasn't been a really lucrative area from 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 my experience uh to do it so the question is like what's what's going on here like why why is it so hard to invest in healthcare companies um i think the real challenge with healthcare companies is and it's logical it makes sense is that there is there's such a high level of regulatory oversight on these and it makes sense obviously you want to sell pro you know if you want to take a uh, some medicine or you want to use something that's going to replace your hip or some kind of medical device you want to know that it's going to work and it's not going to kill you and it's not going to um, make your life more worse or more uncomfortable so yeah you have to have i get it you have to have that uh, regulatory oversight into making sure the products and services that are coming that people are going to use that are going to ingest are going to keep them safe Um, i think that's one challenge i think that i've discovered with with the industry is just it's really hard to fight the old regulatory. And the thing about the regulation side of it is it kind of come. it's, it's, it's there, it's always there, but it can really do a lot of damage to companies too. It can, you know, you can strip companies that are been you know, developing a, a drug for like five, six years, spent billions of dollars, and the government can go and say, you know what, sorry, uh, it doesn't meet the testing requirements, and can pull it. And it kills the company's stock, especially if it's the only company that, uh, type of drug that they have on the pipeline. Um, so the, regula- the regulation side, I think, is a bit of a drag on, on these companies, on healthcare stocks. The other side of it, too, is, and the part I don't get, is, especially on the pharmaceutical side, is when companies invest a lot of money and finally get the approval to sell their, their drugs in the marketplace, they only get exclusivity, exclusivity for a certain number of years. And then after that, basically anybody can go out and, and make their own generic version of that same drug. So all these other companies out there can can piggyback off the company that did all the legwork and make a buck off of it, and ultimately it erodes the profits of of the developing company. Um, so it's really easy for companies to lose their competitive advantage in in the healthcare space. So um, so bringing this back into my decision to buy CVS, CVS I thought would be a company that would be kind of above all that or kind of detached from that because they sell drugs they don't you know they don't produce or manufacture the drugs they sell like healthcare services and to me i thought that that was less of a regulatory constraint and uh they could um, separate themselves a little bit and it's funny because if you look at their performance and that's why i got into the stock they're a really solid wealth creating company they're one one of the best of breed um, u.s pharmacies out there And and, and as far as I was concerned, it was trading at a discount. So when I got into it, and I've held this stock for a few years now, and I've been buying it as it was going up and down, buying it on the dips kind of thing, and lowering my cost base. Originally, I bought it for $80, and eventually my final cost base was like $71. So I've been buying it on the dips um, because I thought this was a safe uh, healthcare stock. And unfortunately, it's been anything but. And I think a few things have happened in the last few years that have kind of taken the company down a bit. And one of it has been this, this overhang with uh, Amazon. Uh, Amazon rumbling out there that they're gonna get out and sell uh, drugs directly to people. And so a lot of people thought, got freaked out. You know, Anytime Amazon seems to like want to enter a space, that kind of punishes the, the, uh, the legacy um, businesses around it and so CBS took a bit of a hit uh, on that side of it and it kind of forced them to they kind of had an aha moment where they decided okay we need to kind of diversify into other spaces and kind of build a more unique healthcare care uh, service offering and that's led them ultimately to make the decision to buy Aetna insurance and it was a big deal it's one of the biggest purchases out there and uh, the problem with it, which seems like a logical thing, again, they're diversifying their exposure to, to, the, uh, to, the, to the drug side of it, getting into the health insurance side of it, broader, offering a broader integrated uh, uh, health service uh, value proposition. Seems like it makes sense intuitively. Um, the flip side of that is that the company had to go into a lot of debt to buy Aetna. And I think that was one of the driving factors. This is a company that's really a cash cow company throws off a lot of cash flow and again it's one of the reasons that drew me into the company uh, but I think the, they they it looks like now when I look at it I think they overpaid and they may have overstretched for but for, for Aetna. and I think that's kind of putting a bit of a kink into their cash flows and uh, and ultimately it's triggered a, a little bit of the valuation and uh, what really got me out of it was the stock just has been kind of creeping down and uh, it broke through 60. As I said, my cost base on this was, at the end of it, $72, $71, $72. And uh, the stock just kept getting beat up and just kept falling and falling. And then soon it crossed just below $60. So I was down 20%. And uh, for, for, again, regular listeners of, the pod- of my podcast and my blog will know that I have built into my you know, my investing framework and my decision-making framework an exit strategy, where if a stock that I own falls at 20% or more, or falls, crosses the 20% loss level, then I'm out of it. I sell it, no questions asked. Um, because the hardest part about investing is not so much trying to make money off of it, you know, create profits. The hardest part about investing is how do you manage your losses. And it's really easy to let your losses run Longer and if the higher you can run your losses, the harder it is to recover from them You know the basic logic is if a stock is down 25% um, That stock or a stock is down 50% you need that stock to go Double has to go up a hundred percent just for you to break even so if a stock is down 20% for example That stock needs to go up 25% for you just to get your money back forget about making profit out of it just to get your money back so Looking at the context of where the company is right now, it crossed, you know, I was at a 20% loss provision. I thought, you know what, I kind of, I still like the business, I like the concept, I like the concept of being exposed to healthcare, but you know what, I just don't see myself making money off of this stock right now. So I just said, you know what, I'm gonna cut my losses and just cut it and and I ended it. And So I just turned the page uh, on CVS and that's led me to to make that decision. It's never great selling stocks for a loss. but sometimes you have to do it, and when you are in that situation, it's just critical that you let, don't let emotion make that decision. It's more about um, having the discipline, establishing the exit strategy, and just make taking the emotion out of the decision making. Again, I like the stock. If the stock were to drop, uh, you know, into the forties or thirties, I might look at it again. But right now, uh, you know, I'm happy to just cap the loss at twenty percent and just turn the page, move on. Um, And get on with it and put my money into uh, other better opportunities so tough decision selling stocks for a loss is tough and uh and it's critical you have to have that discipline in there that kind of regimen that uh playbook and built into your playbook to make those decisions so that's uh cvs uh the next decision i made was i decided to buy some more shares in winpack which is ticker symbol wk wpk and Winpack's a pretty, um, you know, it's a packaging company up here in Canada. Um, it's a really boring company in the sense that, you know, it's not like you're flashing the p- flashy, you know, Amazons or Googles or whatever. Um, it's a company. It's a boring company that makes boxes, packaging equipment, generates really stable cash flows. Um, it's got a really, it's a really simple company, really clean ba- ba- balance sheet. Um, it's a boring company, and. Uh, the stock was, you know, I bought it in the mid '40s, and the stock's been tracking down lower, down to the low '40s, and so the stock was down almost about 10% at one point. And so I, um, and there's a lot of talk out there, you know, the economy is slowing down, and so if the economy is slowing down, people aren't going to buy as much stuff, so they may not need as much packaging, boxing materials. Um, but one of the things I know about WinPack is, it's despite all the ups and downs of the economy. This is a company that consistently generates positive cash flow. It's a con- consistently solid wealth creating company in good times and in bad times. So with the stock down in the low 40s, um, I thought it would be a great opportunity to jump at, jump in and uh, buy some more stock and lower my cost base. Um, and uh, you know, it's just one of those slow and steady kind of boring companies that generate strong tangible wealth. And but what else do you want? So. <clears throat> I bought uh, WinPak basically to to, uh, to average my costs down a little bit more, um, and go from there. So that was my next decision. Uh, the decision I also another decision I made is I decided to buy more shares in Southwest Airlines ticker symbol LUV. Uh, Southwest has been in the news lately. Uh, <clears throat> Mainly, nothing really related to the company itself, but related to what's going on in the industry. We all know about the issues with the 737, the Boeing 737's MAX, that have, a couple of them have crashed in the last couple of months. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, now they've uh, taken those planes off the market, off the, they've grounded those planes. Um, and it's kind of had an impact on Southwest because their fleet is entirely 737 planes. Um, 34 of their uh, set, they have currently or they had 34 737 max, maxes that were flying no longer. Um, so what's happened is the airline stocks have taken a bit of a hit because of it. Because companies, because uh, Southwest has had to kind of scramble and find other planes to take over that capacity. Um, and so the expectation out there is that profits uh, are going to be lower. In, in the short term, especially this year, um, so what I look at it, yeah, is probably their company is probably going to get dinged in the short term. But as I said, I'm not investing for to flip the stock tomorrow. Um, I'm a long-term investor, and I'm happy to own the stock for multiple years. And uh, so as an investor, I'm thinking bigger picture, and I'm saying this is something that's going to get addressed. Uh, at some point, these 737 MAX planes are probably going to be in the sky again, and they will be in operation, and uh, Southwest will, will fly them, and they will be safe, and uh, the company will just continue on. So to me, the stock took a bit of a hit. It went down as low as in the low 50s. It was, actually it went down almost $48. So again, I decided, hey, you know what? This may be a great opportunity to buy some stocks on the cheap and uh, lower my cost base a little bit so i did i bought some more shares of southwest uh i also made another selling decision where i decided to sell my shares in tiffany uh ticker symbol uh tif and i sold it i managed to make uh, an 18.7 percent return on it backing out all the foreign exchange adjustments um it's uh tiffany it's it's had a pretty good run. Um, during the depths of the market pullback in December, the stock was trading as low as in the mid-70s. Um, I sold it at over $100 a share. Um, if you compare it on a US dollar basis, the stock was up 22% when I sold it. Uh, why did I sell it? Well, again, as I said, I talked about exit strategies. You know, uh, If a stock, I'm losing money on a, uh, below 20%, I'm out. Same thing on the upside. Uh, Every stock that I buy, I want to make sure I'm getting uh, at least a certain minimum return on it. For me, again, it's 20% return. The stock was up 22% um, on a U.S. dollar basis. And I thought, given how fast the stock has risen, uh, as I said, it was in the mid-70s in December, and now all of a sudden it's in the 100s, I thought the stock – went up pretty fast and I thought it had a pretty good run so I thought you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna take my profit and, and walk away from it um, Tiffany's been a good stock for me I've held it several times and uh, this is like the fourth time I've held Tiffany stock in the previous three times I've owned it I was I earned, I've earned returns 26 percent 20 percent 20 percent 23 percent so I've made literally almost doubled my investment in Tiffany by holding Tiffany um, over the years um, and it seems like the formula for, for using it is, Tiffany is buying, buying low, usually when the luxury retail sector is sort of in a down kind of moment, that's usually the best time to get into these kind of stocks, and then when you know, things start picking up in the, in the sector, the stock usually pops and you do it. So you kind of have to go counterintuitive to what the market's doing or what the market believes in and so in December the psychology on retail a luxury retail was pretty lousy retail sales were low were falling Um, so they were very much out of favor and a lot of luxury retail stocks like Tiffany were getting were getting schmucked and uh, so that's usually the time when you want to buy these things and that's what I did I started buying it up in December and uh, I was expecting it to take a little bit while to to grow, but I was really, uh, you know, the stock just popped in in, in uh, February and March. So um, I decided to say, you know what? I'll take advantage of it and buy uh, and buy some more shares or sell out on there and bank the profit. So uh, another good experience again with Tiffany. Again, if the stock were to fall back, the retail sector is going to slow down again at some point. Retail, uh, luxury retail, it's very cyclical in terms of the psychology around it. So when the psychology is lousy on it, that's usually the time you want to get in on it. So when that, when that happens again, and it's going to happen again, uh, that's when I'm going to jump back in on in it probably. Again, solid best of breed company uh, from that side of it. Um, and then my final decision that I made in March was another selling decision. I sold my shares in Tyson Foods, ticker symbol TSN. And again, I made 19.8% on it. Backing out all the foreign exchange adjustments. Tyson Foods is another, another one of my staple stocks that I've held many times over the years. Um, the only regret I have is I wish I, did, I bought more stock. <laughs> I, I, for some reason, I didn't buy enough sh- a lot of shares this time. Um, as I said, I bought the stock in, in, in the '50s, in the mid '50s. Stock went up to sixty-seven dollars, and actually, it's over seventy right now. Um, but again, it was my my investment playbook is when stocks that I own cross a 20% return, that's usually when I reevaluate whether I want to own or continue to hold it or or sell it. And uh, and I decided to sell. Um, In the past, as I said, I've held it a few times in the past. I've generated returns of 23%, 6%, 34% returns holding Tyson Foods, and this time another 20% return here. Um, Again, this is a stock that was trading uh, around fifty dollars in December, um, and I bought and I, and I kept buying. I bought, bought more shares to average down my position, and uh, and it's so far and it looks and it, and it worked out. And uh, again, I decided to be uh, to bank the profit, um, not selling it because of the company. I think is weak. I think again, this is another uh, to me Tyson Foods is as a best of breed in uh, business in the sense of. Uh, meat packaging, selling meat products. It's one of the dominant companies in the U.S. in terms of selling meat products and uh, it's always generated strong cash flows, strong economic profit. Um, It's kind of in the same vibe as as, uh, it's a cyclical kind of business. Demand for food or demand for meat products tend to kind of go in a cyclical fashion. So. you know, it's the same, it's literally the same formula. When the demand and psychology around the sector or the industry is lousy, that's when you want to buy into these type of companies. And then when it starts improving, which it always does, um, then you sell out and you take your profit and you go home. So as I said, I've, I, you know, I made 20% on te- Tyson this time. I've done I made 34, 23 and six in the past. So it's, again, it's been another um, 70, 80% return uh, on my investment from holding Tyson Foods. You know if the stock were to drop again back down um, yeah I, w- I would consider buying back in it's just you know ultimately as investors we want to buy high quality well-run businesses buy them when they're cheap hold them for a period and hopefully sell them at a meaningful return and then kind of wash rinse repeat and that's essentially hopefully you're seeing that in some of the decisions that i made in some of the companies that i've owned uh, that's how i follow it buy, by quality businesses at a cheap price And uh, ultimately, um, they'll work out. And if you're patient and you're disciplined, the returns will come. And it's just having that discipline, understanding that the fundamentals of the business are still solid, and it's generating positive economic profit. um, Those are the the key signs that'll tell you if uh, if the company's going to do well or in the future. So those were the decisions I made in March. If you have any questions about any of them, I'm more than happy to answer. You can find me, uh, you can hit me with an email through my website sageinvestors.ca. You'll find all kinds of information about the courses that I teach, uh, the coaching services that I offer, uh, as well as my podcasts, my blog videos that I like to post on various investing topics. Um, you can find me on Twitter, my handle is at Sage I'm on there all the time sharing different um, sharing different content that I'm seeing from different people who know a lot more about investing than I do um, and uh, offering my takes and perspectives about what's going on in the market uh, in real time, of course. And Also, you can find me on Instagram. My, ha- my handle is at Sage Investors Nation. I post uh, some stuff on there. And then finally, you can find me on my Facebook page. Uh, do a search Sage Investors. So that's all I got for you this week. Thank you very much for listening in. This has been another episode of Stock Talk. My name is Amon Reina of Sage Investors, and we will catch you again another time. Take care. Bye-bye.